You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 915 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Friday evening into Saturday. And thank you, as always, for joining me on the podcast. We will spend most of today's show talking about an 18-point win for the Hawks on the road in Minnesota. A pretty breezy one, all things considered. They led by 20-plus for most of the second half. And a nice effort by the Hawks on the road to complete a 3-0 sweep of this week and also to sweep the Timberwolves for the full season. Obviously, the teams are uh, the Wolves are in the West, so it's only a two-game schedule, and they beat them twice this week. And uh, obviously, the schedule is not too difficult for the Hawks this week, but still, 3-0 is 3-0 in the NBA. You, can't, you cannot ignore that. I will say, uh, obviously, it was a tough day in Atlanta with the passing of Hank Aaron, the legend. Um, obviously, his impact goes well beyond sports. I just want to say that. Obviously, thoughts and prayers to his family, and there's been plenty of, of, of reflection on that. I encourage folks to read about Hank Aaron and all that he had to go through and all that he has meant to the city and the sports world and much beyond the sports world. So that was a looming thing today in Atlanta, but the Hawks played quite well in this game. We'll focus on that for the most part on this podcast. Uh, before we get to the game, though, there is a bit of news, actually. Um, pre-game in terms of there's one transaction to hit on and some injury stuff, etc. Um, Solomon Hill's deal is now guaranteed for the season, according to Sham Sharania, later confirmed by the AJC Sarah Spencer. Um, this is kind of a surprise in the timing, but not in the transaction. So I was surprised actually at the time, if you're a long-term, if you're a long-term listener, you would know this, but I was surprised that Solomon Hill signed a non-guaranteed deal with the Hawks. At the time, I thought the Hawks might sign a true center with that spot for some depth. And also, I was surprised that Hill's market was only that, because he's a pretty solid veteran. Not someone who's going to get a lot of money on the market, necessarily. But the fact that he signed for a very small role on a team that was certainly building to, right now, to be better, but not like a, t- a title contending team coming into the season. So, all that was surprising. And, you know, at the time, I was like, oh, listen, they're signing him to a non-guaranteed deal, but he's really better than that. And that was now kind of confirmed by this decision to go ahead and guarantee him a little bit early. As a seven-year veteran, Hill has already earned about $500,000 almost as of today, and now he's guaranteed to earn the full $2.1 million for this season. Again, not a surprise at all. I would have bet on this happening at some point because Hill's been in the rotation pretty much all season long, and a guy like that on a non-guaranteed minimum contract, the Hawks are not going to cut him unless there's like an absolute dire reason to do so. So uh, no no harm done on the salary cap to go ahead and guarantee him. The Hawks are already over the cap and all that stuff. And a nice reward for Solomon Hill, giving him some more guaranteed flexibility. So that happened today. And again, no no like actual roster impact other than on, on Tony Russell's wallet and Solomon Hill's wallet. But a nice positive thing to uh, sort of capture the way that he's had an impact on this team. And honestly, you know, his leadership and all that. And the Hawks have been, I would say, uh, raving about him since the moment he arrived. And that's definitely seems to be the case even now. The other sort of newsy item that was outside of the game was that Gordon Hayward spoke to Sam Amick of The Athletic and actually revealed that, I'm going to quote him now, Atlanta was a team that he was really interested in, end quote, during free agency. That is not a huge surprise either. There was some rumblings about that. I talked about that a lot at the time. He obviously signed the four-year deal, mega deal, I should say, with the Hornets. And then uh, Hayward actually revealed to The Athletic that the list at the end for him was the Hawks, Knicks, Celtics, Pacers, and Hornets. Um, obviously, he went to the Hornets, but I don't I, no huge takeaway there. But the Hawks, I just, sort of a confirmation that there was that there was some fire to the smoke with Hayward, and I'm not sure where the where the sort of walkaway point was for the Hawks, but it was somewhere south of 120. What he actually got, and uh, 
there you have it. Just a little bit of uh, non, uh, non-transactional non news, even though it was kind of transactional in some respects. And uh, the rumor mill is not really turning just yet with, with the trade deadline still a month plus away, but uh, sort of a, uh, a vestige of an, old, of an old time period with Hayward getting into the news, talking to The Athletic today. Um, injury-wise in this game, it was nice to see the Hawks with a relatively full roster. Obviously, they're still without Bogdanovich and Chris Dunn. Those guys are going to be out for a little while longer. But coming into the day, there was some uncertainty on the original injury report on Thursday that was released the day before, as it always is. Both DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish were listed as questionable, with Danilo Gallinari listed as doubtful as of Thursday evening. Then, on Friday afternoon, the Hawks upgraded Gallinari to questionable, which certainly is a positive step, but not a guarantee that he's going to play. And they still had Hunter and Reddish as questionable. Um, but then pregame, at about 6.30, before the 8 o'clock tip, Lloyd Pierce announced that all three were going to be available to play. There were some minutes restrictions. Reddish had 25 minutes, Gallinari 15 minutes, and also Tony Snell still on one at 25 minutes. Hunter, though, was not limited by minutes at all in this game. But it's good to see the Hawks having 15 healthy players that actually allowed them to have both Skyler Mays and Nathan Knight inactive, saving one of those, guy, one of those games under the uh, cap for both of those guys. And the Hawks, uh, you know, just having... All of their bodies available. Gallinari had not played since December 30th in Brooklyn. Um, they actually stay with Kevin Herter in the starting lineup, which did not surprise me, both because of the minutes restriction for Reddish and because the Hawks have been playing pretty well with Herter in that slot. We will see where that actually lands when everybody is fully healthy. But that was the decision today, and I actually didn't that, that didn't bother me at all. I think it's certainly more of an offense lean, obviously, but going to Herter rather than Reddish. But Herter's been playing well, and that didn't bother me whatsoever. And also, Cam, I missed the last three games, which is worth pointing out. Uh, last thing before we get to a break, and then we'll dive into the blow-by-blow of this. The Hawks were six-point favorites, according to our friends at betonline.ag in this game. That's about what they have been all week, honestly. Uh, granted, they were on the road here against Minnesota, but the lack of home court advantage is certainly a factor so far. Um, books are noticing that. I will say the uh, the numbers are not necessarily swinging as much as you as, as much as you would think based on home court. And more importantly, the Wolves are pretty bad, and Carl Anthony Towns is not playing this game. They did get Ricky Rubio back, but he was kind of limited, and. Minnesota, as currently constructed, is probably the worst team in the league. Without Carl Anthony Towns, they are pretty bad. So that has to be said. It doesn't mean the Hawks didn't play well in this game because they, they actually did. Whereas I said on Monday, the Hawks did not play well on Monday, and they still won because the Wolves are so bad. In this game, the Hawks actually played pretty well, and uh, sort of as a combination of things. But Atlanta gets the win. We will dive into that momentarily. But first, a word from our friends at BetOnline.ag. The NFL season is winding down with only a few teams still alive in pursuit of this year's championship. There is plenty to discuss, and with that in mind, there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the NBA getting geared up as the regular season rolls on with great matchups on a nightly basis, there's dozens of college basketball games each and every night, hockey games ramping up, and much, much more. From there, the NFL playoffs are still in the center of the frame with two conference championship games this coming week, and the big game for all of the marbles to follow after that. If none of that gets you going, there's a full menu of offerings for BetOnline on any sport you can think of. BetOnline also has a huge menu of player props as well as live wagering options, a ton of future bets, and even the weirder offerings that diehards always seem to love. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action and do not forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit with the site. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus, but online, your online sportsbook experts. 
We will dive in now to the game and the way that it all broke down. And the Hawks scored 116, 116 points in this game. That's a pretty good offensive output, even in a game that, you know, had some pace to it. It wasn't like a crazy fast-paced game. The Hawks just play well on offense. But in the early going, it was pretty ugly on both sides. The, t- the teams combined to shoot 5-16 before the first time out. The Hawks were a little bit cold. There were some fouls on Minnesota, but the Hawks did lead 10-7. to um, Substitution-wise, the Hawks went to Solomon Hill first, and then Reddish and Gallinari after a after a timeout early. And uh, spoiler alert, the Hawks had a nine-man rotation this entire game until the garbage time in the final minute. So a pretty short rotation that we'll come, we'll, we'll come back to later on. But the Wolves made sort of a mini-run to go up by one. Uh, there were some defensive breakdowns, including Herter getting totally lost on a back cut. And Pierce called timeout. Um, after that, it was uh, more of the bench units. The Hawks did score the first seven, sorry, the last seven points of the f- first quarter, including a three by Gallinari, his first bucket and his return. And then Anthony Edwards, the former number one overall pick, um, missed two pretty big dunk attempts in the final minute or so of the first quarter uh, in pretty electric fashion. Although he missed both of them, but the Hawks take the take a 25-19 lead based on you know that strong end, end of the quarter, but it's pretty ugly, all things considered, on both sides. The Hawks did shoot better than the Wolves did, and Clint Capella, who, by the way, was ridiculous in this game once again. Capella had the huge night on Wednesday. He's been really good the last four games, but tonight, a triple-double, which we'll, we'll touch on later on, but he was uh, starting out really, really in, uh, with, with a lot of impact, we'll say. Six points, eight rebounds, and three block shots in the first quarter, and that set the tone for the rest of the night. Early in the second quarter, the Hawks sort of broke it open for the first time. Um, Capella had a career high in blocks in the first two minutes of the second quarter, which tells you how all you need to know about this game. Also, we had 10 rebounds in the early going of the second quarter. It was a 14-2 overall run by the Hawks to go up by 11 points. The Hawks were playing shorthanded with a nine-man rotation, although they didn't have to be. They had the depth, but they were kind of just playing a tight rotation in this game, which isn't a huge surprise. They needed to win this game, and they treated it like the game that they needed to win. But they pushed the lead up to 18 um, overall, that run between the end of the first and the beginning of the second quarter was a 28-9 spurt. And the Wolves didn't reach double figures in the second quarter until about the 440 mark. So they scored nine points in the first 520 or so. Sorry, 720 or so of the f- second quarter, which is uh, brutal. Minnesota was bad in this game. Pretty bad. Um, I made note of this, but Gallinari got a switch on, on a wing in the post. And he shot a jump shot like the fair wasn't even standing there. It was good. To, it's just good to see Gal like flash to what he can do offensively. We know that sort of empirically, but uh, Gallinari is a force offensively. Even if he's not moving particularly well, he can just do so much with his jump shot and the attention that he sort of creates and diverts from from other guys. And we saw that already in a limited sample tonight. Uh, the Wolves kind of lost Trey a couple times in the end of the first half to get him going a little bit. There was. Uh, Two like wide open catch and shoot, kind of like standstill threes from Young. They really seemed to get him really, really uh, excited, <laughs> knocking down shots from that point forward. Uh, he pushed the lead up to 23 at one point late in the first half, and it was really all Hawks in this quarter. Um, overall, it was a 37 24 period, and that was their most lopsided of the night. Um, the Hawks in the first half had about a 1.27 points per possession average offensively. That is excellent. They shot 50% from the floor and 46% from three. They held the Wolves to less than 0.9 points per possession, which is elite defensively, although, again, with some help from Minnesota's offense. In the first half, Trey Young had 25 points on 8 of 13 from the floor, 3 of 6 from three, and 6 of 6 from the free throw line, picking up where he left off in the second half on Wednesday. And then Capella had the six the six blocks in the first half. That matched the NBA high for a half this season for anyone. He was the first Hawk with six blocks or more and a half since Josh Smith in 2008. It's been a long time since Smith played, and he's my age, so that tells you a lot about how old I am, but alas. Um, 
Capella had eight points, 15 rebounds, and six blocks in 17 minutes in the first half, which is uh, just electric. And then Gallinari added eight off the bench. And by the way, I thought Rondo was better. We'll come back to him later on as well, but I thought he was better, in his, especially in the first half of his game. Good to see him play a little bit better than he has been previously. In the third quarter, there was a brief time where Minnesota kind of threatened, um, but it didn't arrive right away. There was a young Capella pick and roll that was so poorly defended by Minnesota that was like jarring to watch. I had to watch it twice. They just kind of stood still. It kind of looked like a walkthrough in a lot of ways, but got a dunk for Capella. Trey had 30 points in a hurry after a long rebound created by Collins. Catches uh, And Trey gets a sort of catch-and-shoot three to get to 30 points. Capella gets a block shot. It gets a seven, his career high. But Minnesota does have a 7-0 run. That actually, I believe it was a 9-0 run overall. Yeah, 9-0 run overall to 70-57. So they're still down by 13 points. But the Hawks did sort of stutter a little bit in that range and got some uh, uneasy tweets from Hawks fans that I saw at that point in time. But out of a timeout, Trey hit back-to-back threes, uh, his sixth, uh, fifth and sixth of the night, to get to uh, 36 points on the evening. I may note this as well, but Trey Young, in about 60-ish minutes, of game time, that, that's not just his minutes. I mean, that like overall game time between Wednesday and Friday, he had about 68 points, which is uh, just outrageous. At any rate, um, same rotation in the second half, but the Hawks got up to 26-point lead with Young just kind of pouring it on in that range. A dunk from Collins, a nice play by Kim Reddish in, in uh, sort of Eurostep fashion around the rim, a, sol- a three by Solomon Hill, and then Trey had 40 points in his first 26 minutes of play. He sat down at that point, actually, the Hawks... Probably could have put the game to bed right there, and the bench didn't really uh, dominate the way that you might have thought. They actually came out of the came out of a timeout by Minnesota with Gallinari at the five the rest of the way in the third quarter, which is a nice little wrinkle that we'll probably see a little bit of from time to time. Um, they actually put a little bit of zone defense with, with that group near the end of the quarter. That was two sort of mixed reviews, but it was at least out there. They tried something new with that group, but the Hawks, you know, dominating through three quarters. Uh, in the middle two quarters, they won um, by 19, so they were up, you know, up 25 through three. It's pretty much over at that point in time. The Hawks, you know, dominated in the stat department. Trey had 40 points through three quarters. Capella had 11 and 18 and seven blocks, etc. So the fourth was almost academic in a lot of ways. There was another highlight block by Capella on Anthony Edwards early in the fourth quarter that was sort of was a statement move. Pretty sloppy on both ends, honestly, for both teams. The Wolves did cut, did cut it down to 21, and that got Trey back into the game. When I'm not sure he was going to come back in. If the Hawks had uh, gone up by 30, he might he may not have ever come back. But they brought him back in along with John Collins. They went back to the starters for a brief time. Uh, Capella had three blocks in short order to get to the triple-double. So he had 10 blocks with about six minutes to go in the fourth quarter and then came out shortly after that. But was, he's the first Hawk to have 10 blocks since Josh Smith in 2004. Only the third this century for the Hawks to get to 10 blocks and only the sixth triple double with blocks in Hawks history with, with joining, joining tree Rollins and Kevin Matumbo. So wild stuff from Capella, the Hawks, as I said before, had a nine man rotation for 44 ish minutes. They finally went to the other guys who were on the end of the bench first to a and Go- and Goodwin. And then Bruno Fernando and Tony Snell at the very end, but it was really a nine man group throughout this game. And that was the end of that. So, Obviously, not a, not a ton of drama. The only drama really in the fourth quarter was, was whether Capella was going to have the triple-double, and the bench was really going sort of raucous when he got it, which was kind of fun to watch in a lot of ways. The bench was really into it, and uh, there was some praise in a big way for Capella, and rightly so. He was awesome in this game. Um, big picture sort of team stuff in this game. The Hawks scored at about a 1.17 point per possession clip. That is well above average and very, very good. They shot 
46% from the from the floor, 43% from three. They got to the line 30 times, made 25 of them. Uh, also kept the Wolves off the line. They uh, took 18 more free throws than the Wolves did. The Hawks dominated out of the glass again. Um, no surprise there, but 13 offensive rebounds and 81% defensive rebound rate. So very, very good on both of those both of those spots. Um, the one thing, if you want to point to one weakness offensively in this game, it was 21 assists and 17 turnovers. That's not a great ratio, but other than that, it was really what you wanted for the Hawks in this entire game. And then defensively, they held the Wolves to under a point per possession, even with the garbage time, a little bit of a letdown in the fourth quarter as Minnesota scored 31 points. But before that, it was even more dominant. And Minnesota really just had no path to success in this game. You know, obviously they missed them, they missed some open shots, but it was not great shooters taking those open shots. So some pretty good, pretty good sound defense from Atlanta overall in this spot. And no real complaints, honestly. Like, again, it's worth pointing out that Minnesota is bad. And especially the first half, I really thought Minnesota was kind of ghastly bad. Like, just their effort level was not good. Their execution level was bad. Offensively, there wasn't a lot to speak of. D'Angelo Russell is by far their best offensive player. He had nine points in this game. So there just wasn't a lot going on. Um, but still a nice win. The Hawks won, by, won this game by 18 points going away, and uh, that's what you need to do. If you're a good team like the Hawks are supposed to be or trying to be this season, this is a game where you have to go on the road and win it convincingly, and they did that. So that's all I will have on the uh, team, team-wide team stuff for now. After a quick break, we will hear, uh, sort of, I, I will say we'll dive into the individual stuff because obviously the two big performances were Trey Young and Clint Capella, but there's much more to get to. So hold on tight. We'll be right back after our word from our sponsors. All right, so we'll save the uh, the two big ones for the end with Capella and Young. We'll go to the bench first. As I alluded to, they only had nine guys play real minutes. There were four guys that played uh, non-competitive time. It was Snell, it was Goodwin, it was Kongwu, it was Fernando. Those guys combined to take two shots at two free throws. Um, people were asking me about, about Kongwu not playing. You know, I think all things equal, it would be good to play Kongwu even in competitive time because he is the number six overall pick. I totally get that. At the same time, they had Gallinari back in this game. And because of the way that Minnesota was playing, they didn't need to go big. So Wednesday, Kongwu was a big part of the rotation. He played multiple stints. They needed him to play. In this game... The Wolves started Nas Reed at center. And Nas Reed's not like a traditional center. He's more of a perimeter player on offense. Not a guy who's going to like bludgeon you inside. And I think that was kind of what dictated things for the Hawks. Um, you know, basically they played the entire game until the final minutes with Capella, Collins, or Gallinari at center. So if they had gone to Fernando instead of Kongwu, I would have been bothered as Hawks fans seem to be in some ways. But they, they played small in this game intentionally they obviously did well with that and yes the Kongwu needs to play and I totally understand but they also had to deal with integrating Gallinari back in this game and the way the Capella's playing like what are you going to do not play him so uh minutes will be hard to come by at times for a Kongwu that was kind of what we thought coming into the season I mean that's the one thing about stocking up as the Hawks did in the front court with the additions of Capella via trade and then Gallinari is that you have all these bodies, so on a night when they're not playing as a traditional center, Okongwu may not have a path to playing time. Would I have maybe played him for a couple minutes in the first half? Sure. But I, it doesn't, like, infuriate me. Yes, it, it'd be good to play Okongwu, um, but this is sort of the transition point for the Hawks where they're not playing guys for develop, for development right now. They're trying to win every night, and Okongwu is not as good as the guys they were playing. So I think he'll play more than this most nights, 
but maybe sometimes when they are in a matchup that, that they don't need to go to go super big, if they have all these guys available and healthy, and that includes Gallinari, there just aren't minutes if you want to play a little bit of small ball in there as well. So didn't bother me, but I, I will keep an eye on that for sure because obviously you do want to play Kongwu as much as you can while still trying to win games night in, night out. Um, yeah, so other than that, those four guys basically didn't play at all. Um, Rondo played 19 minutes. I thought Rondo was much better in this game. Nine points, six rebounds, six assists. No, 9.7 rebounds, six assists. And made three threes, which is not what you can expect from Rondo necessarily every night, but that was nice to see that he made those. I was critical of him earlier this week, and I think rightly so, but he played well in this game. Good to see him bounce back and show a little bit more. Um, Solomon Hill only took one shot. After playing 40 minutes on Wednesday, only 18 minutes tonight, but he was actually plus 19, um, a tie for the lead on the Hawks with Cam Reddish. So the bench did their part in this game. They had two steals, Solomon Hill did. Just more of a solid night, and again, uh, shots to him for getting his contract guaranteed, and he earned that. Um, Reddish returned with 24 minutes in this game. Didn't shoot it great, 3 of 10 from the floor, but got to the line 10 times, 8 of 10. So that's something Lloyd Pierce praised him for after the game, is getting to the free throw line. That helps your efficiency, quite obviously. He also had 10 rebounds, a steal, and a block, 15 points for Cam. I thought he played pretty solidly. Uh, he had missed three games in a row, so a little bit of rust potentially, but I thought he had a couple nice flash moments, defensively played well, and uh, pretty solid overall. And then Gallinari, 10 points, 4 rebounds in 15 minutes of play. He was plus 11. His offensive spacing is just, it gives you so much more that you can do with him on the court, even if he's not having the ball. Guys are flying to him. He, the couple of pick and pop situations with Trey Young, where they're not leaving Trey, but they're flying extra help out there and really kind of worried about Gallinari, and that just opens the floor up so much. That's only part of it, but uh, he he can and will help the offense. That's definitely well documented at this point in time, and good to have him back. We'll see how, how much he plays on Sunday, but he reached his limit tonight and seemed to have no issues, so that's a positive for Gallinari. In the starting lineup, um, two guys who actually had quiet nights that didn't matter necessarily, but Kevin, Kevin Herter had four points, uh, five rebounds and two assists in 34 minutes. Just didn't have a huge volume game. Two of seven from the floor, 0-3 from three. Uh, yeah, I thought he was okay. Like, he played okay, I thought. Um, wasn't good necessarily, but kind of a solid, maybe a little bit below average night from Kevin, but just kind of a quiet one. And then and then John Collins as well, four points, seven rebounds, two assists, and a block after the big performance on Wednesday. He just didn't have the usage. He was two away from the floor, uh, missed a couple bunnies that he normally makes. But other than that, they just didn't feed him the ball a whole lot. And again, they didn't need him necessarily. Capella had it going and was dominating the glass, and Trey had it going, and uh, just more balance in this game. But I, I wouldn't worry. I thought Collins played good defense for the most part. And uh, I will say, if, there was, if there's one point of credit, and I hesitate to even assign this, I thought that the Wolves did okay when they actually had guys around the rim. Nasri had four blocks. Um, in fact, the Wolves had eight blocks total, which is a lot. Um, they were okay near the rim when they actually were there. There were some good contests going on for Minnesota, but other than that, uh, they were pretty bad. But Alas, I wouldn't worry about Collins or Herter. Hunter was pretty quiet as well, 11 points. Did have four steals, though, which is good to see for him, especially. Uh, he sort of noted to not have the, to not be a big block and steal guy, but pretty active in this game. Three, three rebounds as well, one of four from three, but made, made all three of his twos and got to the line once, and uh, he played just fine across the board. Lastly, the two star performances in this game. I'm not even sure which order I want to go in. I guess, I guess I'll, I'll go to Capella first, but 13 points, 19 rebounds, 10, yes, 10, Block shots. Uh, 5-11 from the floor, 7 offensive rebounds, 12 defensive rebounds. You know, defensively, just erasing everything. You know, blocks are not, are not everything. It sort of overstates some, sometimes if you have a lot of blocks. But I thought he was really good just overall, quite obviously, in this game. And then the rebounding, I'm, I'm a broken record here, but he just keeps getting every rebound. It's crazy to watch. 
Uh, I believe he came into the game second in the league rebounding. That will not be changing, I don't think. He might, he might even go higher. And Capella's just been kind of out of this world. I believe the last four games, his numbers are pretty eye-popping. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. <laughs> Capella in the uh, the last four. So the Portland game, he had 25, 15, and four blocks. In the first Minnesota game, he had 23, 15, and three blocks. In the Detroit game on Wednesday, he had 27, 26, and five blocks. And then tonight, 13, 19, and 10 blocks. So he's had at least three blocks in four games in a row. He is averaging, averaging more than five blocks a game in the last four. Uh, almost six blocks a game in the last four. Um, the rebounds, he's at 15 or more in four, in four straight games. Scoring, you know, about 20 a game. Maybe even a little bit higher than that over four games. So that won't continue because no one does that. But Capella is playing just incredibly well right now. And it's good to see him sort of excelling. And uh, he was dominant in this game. And then Trey Young. Um, I mentioned this before, like the last, you know, the, that, that sort of shortened sample size. But since halftime on Wednesday, Trey Young has 75 points in about six and a half quarters. Obviously, that overtime period is less than a half a quarter. But we'll, set, we'll call it six and a half quarters. 75 points for Trey, and, and doing it efficiently as well. In this game, he was hyper-efficient. 14-22 from the floor, 8 of 12 from 3. That's the big one for me, is 8-12 from 3, because Trey had been struggling with a lot of things by his standards, but especially from 3 in recent days, but now shooting the way that he has the last 3 games in a row, 40% or more in all 3, he's coming alive from 3, but, you know, 7-7 from the free throw line as well, 5 assists, 4 rebounds, Did have 7 turnovers, but that's totally fine with his, with his usage. 43 points speaks for itself, but hyper, hyper, hyper efficient. And 43 points in 31 minutes is not anything to sneeze at. Like, he could have gone for 50 in this game. If this game, if this game was more competitive, he probably has 50 points because uh, he was not going to be stopped by Minnesota at any point in time. So uh, good to see him coming alive. I was never worried about Troy Young, but he's done what he was supposed to do the last few games and uh, and more, and Atlanta has benefited from that offensively. So, again, all told, the Hawks go 3-0 this week. You can't ask for much more than that. Was it always pretty? No, but you got three wins. And now the schedule becomes more difficult. So the first lull in the schedule, as even Lloyd Pierce referenced it early on um, in, the, in the press conference tonight after the game, they were unfortunate to have that little lull. But this time around, the schedule is more difficult. Now, there is more variance this year by every study imaginable. Home court doesn't really matter. And there's more weird results. Um, and like typical matchups don't necessarily matter. But the Hawks face the Bucks on Sunday, and then after that, it's a home back-to-back against the Clippers and the Nets, which are both obviously very, very good teams, and then they have games in the near future against the Lakers, the Jazz, and the Mavericks twice. So a bunch of talented playoff-level or even higher teams coming up, and that begins on Sunday in Milwaukee. That, by the way, that originally was a 7.30 tip-off, and now it's at 8 o'clock. The NBA announced that um over the weekend, actually, I think it was on Thursday, they announced that the game was going to be pushed back a half hour. I'm not exactly sure why. Maybe it's something to do with the NFL or whatever. But that's going to be happening 8 o'clock Sunday, and that'll be our next podcast. It'll be the post-game pod after Hawks-Bucks on Sunday. But again, the schedule's going to be coming uh, coming fast and furious here. But the Hawks get their eighth win in this game. They're now 8-7 and seven on the year. And in the grand scheme, 8-7 and seven is kind of what you expect. Now, I probably would have predicted, including the schedule that they were playing, Maybe nine and six, ten and seven, something like that for the Hawks. So they're a little bit below where they want to be, I'm sure. But eight and seven is still just fine. They're in the playoff right now in terms of the Eastern Conference. Um, also, this is the last thing I'll say on the podcast today before we get out of here. The Hawks got their eighth win last season in game number 36. They were eight and 28 
So that, they're actually seven and twenty-eight. They got their eighth win in their uh, in their thirty-sixth game. This time around, it's in their fifteenth game. Now that's only one comparison, and everyone knows the Hawks will be better this year versus last year, and they should be with all the roster additions that they have. But it's a whole it's a whole new world right now for the Hawks at eight and seven. They have not been over five hundred this late in the season for a while, and uh, yeah, lots of positives to take away from this night and the entire week. Three zero, taking care of business in a big way. And uh, we'll see how they match up against a much, 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 much better team on Sunday in Milwaukee. So stay tuned. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell a friend or or two or maybe even three or five about the show. And we'll be back again after the 8 o'clock tip-off on Sunday night in Milwaukee. So we'll see you then.